In the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We'll continue the study of Second Samuel chapter 22. If you guys remember, we are looking at a praise that David the prophet said in the, in the last part of his life. And we said this praise is very similar to Psalm 18. I'm just going to review the breakdown from last time because some people did not catch it. So we said from verse 2 to verse 4 is announcement of who is God. He's just explaining who is God who helped him. And number, from verse 5 to verse 7, it's like the summary of what God did for him. Uh, verse 3, for, sorry, number 3 is from verse 8 to verse 31. It's more like of a flashback over all his life of what God has done. And then from verse 4, uh, sorry, uh, from verse 32 to verse 46, it's a report. He's reporting or summarizing, again, the conclusion of everything that happened. And then from verse 47 to 50, it's a vow. And verse, and, and verse 51 is a praise. So he's first saying, who is God? Summarizing what happens, kind of going flashback of all what happened in his life. Now he's reporting what happened, and then he's vowing, and then he's praising. That's kind of the summary of this chapter, okay? Uh, we said last time we stopped at verse uh, 3. So David right now is still in who is God. So he's, verse 3 said, God is my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. I just want you guys to know that a lot of times when we talk about praise, sometimes people find it difficult because praise is the highest level of worship and it, it requires somebody to completely realize the presence of God in their life and what he has done and also requires somebody to be very self-aware of their own weakness and their own shortcomings to be able to see what God has done. And we are usually people who like to be praised but we don't really like to praise. David is praising God at the end of his life after he realized what God is doing for him. And what I want you guys to think about it, what David is doing, he's using every analogy around him to describe God. Like he, he, David used to be a warrior, he'll go to war. What does he have in his in, in the, at war? He'll have a shield, he'll have a sword, he'll have a helmet. So he's using every part of his life to say, to say this represents God. It's almost like imagine you wake up in the morning and you say, the book I study, this is, reminds me of God. The bus I take to school reminds me of God. The store I fill up the gas from reminds me of God. Every small thing becomes a reminder of God. Who is God? He is the one who sustains me. Who is the one who protects me. One of the good expressions, beautiful expressions that he expressed here in verse 3 says, the horn of my salvation. You guys remember in the old days, when you commit a sin, you have to go offer a sacrifice. But let's say you committed a sin and people are running after you to capture you. And you don't have time to offer a sacrifice. What would you do? You would run really quickly and hold on the horn of the altar. Or you run really quickly and go to what we call a refuge city. If you reach the horn 
or if you reach the refuge city, then you are saved. Imagine kind of like you're speeding, and the police is going to give you a ticket, and then you run, run, run to the church, and then you come here and you hold on to the altar, and the police says, oh, I can't give you a ticket now. You made it so quickly. So he's telling him, you're the horn of my salvation. Even when I made a mistake, and even when I had no time to offer repentance, you still led me back your way. You still held me back and brought me to know who you are. That's what this verse is saying. And by the way, this is very common in our life. Many times in our life where we forget to confess and repent and God himself open our hearts and lead us back. Lead us back. I honestly, I'll tell you this is in a personal story. I remember somebody was confessing one time and I felt as if God is reminding me of my own personal sins. Everything this person was saying was almost something that I felt I, I, I've done and I can relate to, but I wasn't diligent enough to remember them. So what's happening here is he's telling him, you are the horn of my salvation. There is no way I would have repented. There is no way I would have even realized my sin unless you came to me. He's telling him, you're my stronghold. A stronghold, you guys know, for example, um, in the monasteries in Egypt, right? There's something called hesn or stronghold. What is hesn or stronghold? And this used to be common in the old days. It's like a, an isolated building that has a storage of food and a church and everything. And then when the barbarian attacked the monastery, there's like a wooden bridge. So the monks will cross over the wooden bridge and then pull the rope and then close the stronghold. So the, the building has no door. The only door was through that bridge and once you pull the rope, you close so nobody can come to that building. So he's telling him, you're my stronghold. What does that mean, your stronghold? Like once I'm inside of you, the enemy can be around, but they can't reach me. They can't come near to me. And this is important because sometimes in our life we want to fight the enemy but the best way is, is to actually be inside the stronghold. Like when I am in the bosom of God, when I am consumed with his serving the kingdom of heaven, consumed with reading the Bible, consumed with doing what the kingdom requires, God shields me from the life of sin. And for example, Masan, a lot of times when you, you, you meet, you sit with Father Masan Tadros Malati, he's very consumed with the kingdom and what we need to do and what the youth need and what the church needs. And when you are consumed working for God, you are in a stronghold and the devil that cannot reach you. You guys remember the story of, I think it was St. Marina, when the devil tried to interrupt her in prayer, he couldn't because she was just praying so deep. When I am working for the kingdom, I am in a stronghold. You tell him, you, you saved me from violence. You saved me from the violence of the evil. Like, the devil cannot do anything to us unless he gets a permission from God. So you told him, David is aware that things could have been much worse for him except for God saving him from violence. He says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I, I, I be saved from my enemies? Here, David is doing something beautiful. He says, I 
call upon the Lord who is worthy to praise, who is saved through my enemies. He says, look at my life. And through my life, I could tell you this, that God saved me. And now I'm standing to praise him. And I could tell you this with a lot of confidence, that when we look at our life, there were so many forks in the road. A friend that you have met, that if you would have walked with him longer, you would probably not be in the church today. Uh, for example, a place you moved to, if you would have stayed there longer, you would not be here today. A decision you have made, if you would have continued with that decision, you would not be here today. So he says, look at me, look at my life, and my life is a manifestation of God's deliverance, and I'm here to praise him. And that's important. The ability to see that a lot of things in my life that happened to me was God sheltering me from where I need to be. Okay? Now, from verse 5 to verse 7 is like the summary of what happened. So, for, uh, until verse 4, he's saying, who is God? God is my stronghold. God is my shield. God, God delivered me from my enemies. Now, he's saying the summary of what happened. He says, when the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. Obviously, David reached many times where he was about to die. And even some of the closest people to him, like his messenger, the commander of the army, wanted him to commit evil. But it says, the waves of death surrounded me. Many times, death was so close. Remember many times, for example, he would be in the same cave as Saul. Or one time, he was captured, he was in a, in a, in a land of the Philistines, and he had to act crazy, so people don't take him captured. Many situations where David was so close to death. So close. Somehow God delivered him. Many situations where people offered him to sin. To kill Saul. To, uh, to disobey the commandments of God in, in vengeance. But he would continue to say no. And he realized that this because... God. Why did he realize this? If you guys remember the life of David, he usually messes up when he's away from Judah, when he's away from Jerusalem, when he's away from prayers. When does he, when does he behave? When he's back to his own land, when he's back to worship, when he's back to his relationship with God. Okay? He says, The sorrows of Shiloh surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. Obviously, Shiloh, is a, uh, Shiloh is, a, is a name in the Bible typically for the dead. And you guys remember that David was attacked by a lion and a bear when he was very young. And a lion and a bear, especially at a young age, could reflect the warfare of lust. He's attacked by Goliath, which is the warfare of fear. He's telling him, through the grace of God, I was able to be saved from real death. I was confronted with big problems, but God helped me to overcome them. There's an important, there's more important aspect in our spiritual life. The more I focus on my sin and my fallingness, the more I fall. The more I focus on the work of God in my life, 
the more I'm glorified. When I am praying, I want, I don't want to keep saying, God, me, help me, support me, strengthen me, me. We want to say, God, you're so wonderful. I could not believe this morning you have done this and this and this. I could not believe that you already worked today. I cannot believe you have responded to a prayer that I even forgot about. When I focus on God, I'll find myself much more thankful, much more faithful, much more joyful because I'm not looking at myself. Within the human falling nature, there is nothing really that could bring happiness on its own. It only comes from the Lord himself. He says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and, and my cry entered his ears. And this is a beautiful verse. He, he's summarizing what's happening. He's saying, look, prayer is effective. Prayer works. Do not belittle your prayer. He's saying, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out, I cried out to my God. And I love this verse when he says, he heard my voice from his temple. I remember I was telling you this before, when David, for example, ran away from Absalom, and the priest came after him and told him, we brought the ark with us. He says, no, 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 don't bring the ark. Keep it in the church. And if God wants me to be back to the temple, he will bring me back. And, he, and then he said, God answered me from his temple. What does it mean? God brought me back. God brought, God brought me back to where I was. God brought me back to serve and to the church and to the bosom of all, of all, of all, my, all the spiritual state that I used to be. And God brought me back. I was rejected. I was not in. And all of a sudden, he brought me back. And my cry entered his ears. My cry enter his ears. Imagine the power of how of God Himself listening to our prayer. I remember uh, one of the people I knew. He told me like he told me like one time him and his wife were getting off the train and they had their child with them. It was a baby child, and all of a sudden the child fell from the father's hands, and he was gonna fall under the train. And the father told me. Abuna, I cried from the depth of my heart. And I said, help me. He cried from the depth of his heart. And told me, somehow, I don't know how, the child is back in my hand. There are moments when the cry from the depth of the heart shakes the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes our daily prayer, because they are so not in tune with what God wants us to be, they almost make us run dry, not fiery, because we're focused a lot on ourselves. But when you truly cry, not for, for the need of my own, but the need according to the heart of God. I'm going to go just a bit off tangent. I want to come back because that's an important, important uh, prayer. In the Bible, the scripture says, pray for one another 
that you may be healed in James. So what happens if we don't pray for one another? We will not be healed. My prayer has an impact on the whole church. And if I don't pray for the church, the church will suffer. You understand that? My prayer has an impact on the church. If I don't pray for the church, the whole church will suffer. We don't want to underestimate the power of prayer that are offered on behalf of the church and behalf of the kingdom. When a father stands and prays for his house, when a servant stands for his class, when a priest prays for the congregation, big difference, big difference. Pray for one another so healing can happen. Healing can happen. I'll tell you a story I'll never forget in my life. One time I was praying liturgy and um, when, I was a, when I was a deacon and I was, I was not able to focus at all. Very distracted. And I was very kind of saddened because I really wanted to pray. That day I was actually serving in the altar. So I, I came out of the altar, went to the back of the church. There's a servant who was very, very close to me. He's an uncle. And I whispered in his ears and I told him, look, I can't pray at all. I beg you, please, pray for me in this liturgy. I need this time. And I know this, this man, like, and we have a special connection. Ali, don't worry. We're going to fight for each other. And then I went back to the liturgy, and I promise you, it's one of the most memorable liturgies in my life. When we pray for one another, there is power. The church grows stronger. Because praying for one another is according to the heart of God. From verse 8 to 31, he's now talking about flashback of what exactly happened. And I love, by the way, what David is doing. Because the more specific you get in your life of thanksgiving with God, the more joyful, the more joy you will receive. And the stronger your faith will be, and the stronger the word of God will last in your heart. It says, Then the earth shook and trembled, the foundation of heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry. What is David saying? When I pray to God and I cry out to him, what happened? The whole world shook. God is not sending an angel or an archangel. God himself is getting up. This is the image that David wants to say. The big man is moving from the throne. The whole foundation, everything is shaking, right? This is what he's saying. This is how powerful this man sees his prayer. It's just phenomenal. He says this also in Psalm 68, 8. He says, The earth shook, the heavens also dropped rain in the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. What is he talking about? He says, when I prayed, the foundation shook and the presence of God was there. 
God himself moved to make me realize his presence in my life. David has seen that heaven, the animals, nature, prophecies, promises, everything works for his sake. Everything works for his sake. This is his flashback. By the way, his flashback does not say, when I was young, uh, the lion attacked me and I jumped and I hit him and all. None of this stuff. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about what God did. He says, smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Like when God got up and responded to David's prayer, he was so present in his life, shaking and, and David's heart was moved and the presence came and everything was happening. And he says, fire came out. You know, usually fire in the scripture represents holiness or cleanness. And the anger of God, if you look in the scripture, by the way, I, I told you this before, the word, when God gets angry, usually the response does not mean vengeance or death. It usually comes with it a promise or an act of forgiveness or an act of love. When God gets angry, he gets angry at seeing his children failing. He gets angry at seeing the devil overpowering them. So he's angry not at you. He's angry for you. That's what he's doing here. Fire came. You see this also in Isaiah. Isaiah loves to use this. He says, Who says, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am a holier than you. These are smoke in my nostril, a fire that burns all day. So see here, for I'm holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils. So the smoke that comes out of God is there to make us holy. This fire is there to make us more like him, more set apart for him. Look at what it says, beautiful verse. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. Like, what is he saying? He says, God came so angry, he shook everything. And what did he do? It's almost like he opened the heaven. He opened the curtain. That's what he's saying. We say this about St. Mary, right? God looked from above. He could not find anybody like you. He looked, opened the clouds, looking from the top. That's exactly what he's saying. God got up and he came and he opened to listen to me, to respond to me. And he says he came with darkness under him. He's describing God as the rider of the sky, rider of the clouds. And you see this a lot in, for example, Psalm 68, to him who rides on heaven of heavens, which were of old. Or Psalm 104, he lays the beam of his, uh, of his upper chamber in the waters, who makes the cloud his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind. God is coming, God is coming, open heaven and coming down in answer of David's prayer. By the way, this verse is very applicable to the incarnation. The answer, the prayer of all the righteous men was a cry for the first coming of Christ. And if you guys remember in the book of Revelation, what does it say? The righteous cry to the God and tell him, when are you going to take vengeance? When is the second coming? There is screaming for the second coming to come. 
the Old Testament is praying for the first coming. We are praying for the second coming of God. He rode upon the, cherubi, the, the cherub and flew, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. When David was praying and crying out in this very vulnerable, intimate moment, God came so fast. The word cherubim is the burning one. The cherub is the burning one. He came on the cherubim flying. And remember I told you before, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a cherub who was standing at the door of paradise with a fire preventing humans to enter. God came and broke all separation. What is he saying? He's saying, I cried to God, but I was so incapable of doing anything. I cried to God and I was so lazy, like Jonah. I cried to God from the bed of my sin. I cried to God and I told him I have nobody but you. And he came so fast to respond. This is not a, a lip service that he offered to God. See how, how significant God wants to respond to our cry. How significant God wants to respond to our cry. He made darkness, canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the sky. Basically, God, he's talking again about God made the clouds to come together around him. And he made, he made the clouds under him. And a lot of, a lot of this, uh, this verse specifically talks mainly about the work of God in the Incarnation. He says, he made darkness, his canopies around him, dark water and thick clouds of the sky. Like God did some work, but I could not understand everything around it. I knew, I knew in part that he's moving and he's doing something for me, but I didn't fully comprehend it and understand it at the time. From brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. Think about this. This is, by the way, a very beautiful verse. He's talking first, God is getting up, okay, and opening the clouds, and now there are coals of fire are kindled. Coals of fire are what? More, more likely lightning and thunder. So he's now adding an imagery of God is in the cloud, there's thunder, there's lightning. It's almost what some scholars call a mode of theophany. There is a mode of transfiguration, a mode of revelation that's happening. When David cried to God, God made him holier. When David cried to God, God showed him his presence. When David cried to God, God transfigured him, just like he transfigured Moses and Elijah. God showed him his glory. No details of war, by the way. No details of anything. David is not even 
not going to waste his time saying when Goliath came in the morning, he was making fun of people, and I woke up early, and none of this nonsense. Somebody is super consumed with God. This is the inspired praise by the Holy Spirit. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered His voice. If you guys remember in 1 Samuel 7, 9 through 10, when the Philistines attacked the people of Israel, what happened? God thundered and the Philistines became so confused and Israel won. So He says, sometimes in our life we're about to be defeated and God somehow sends me a thunder, something that shakes me. A message, a voice, something I read, something that came to me at a moment where there is no way this is a coincidence. Something God says, look, I am here so clear. The Most High uttered His voice. David can hear that this was the voice of God. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lighting balls, and he vanquished them. So when David heard God's thundering, he said, God sent out arrows and scattered them. You guys, in the voice, when we are engaged in the scripture, the voice of God kind of sends out arrows against sins. If you're judging and you hear a verse about do not judge, you start kind of being careful. If you're prideful and you hear God resist the prideful, then you be careful. If you're praying and selfish and you're humble yourself before the Lord, then you become careful. If you're so consumed with your if you're so consumed with yourself, God says you have to be offer yourself as a acceptable sacrifice before God. If you're holding grudges, God says be merciful like to, just so you can receive mercy. It looks at the deepest problems that you have and it throws arrows and, and darts at these problems that you have. That's why in Psalm 97, 4 it says, His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The word of God lights the whole world. And the earth sees and trembles. Your heart, when you receive the arrow that comes in your heart, you'll be filled with fear and the reverence of God. Many times we might think we're good until we read the scripture. And it wakes us up to know what God is doing. That's why our Lord tells the disciples, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And the church teaches us, it's very common teaching in the church that we talk about the arrow prayer, that keep repeating, my Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me, a sinner. My Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me, a sinner. My Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me, a sinner. Why? Because I'm throwing arrows it's all the evil thoughts that could come to my head. All the lustful desires that could control my heart. All the, all the pride in my life. He says, The channels of the sea were seen. The foundation of the words were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of His nostrils. 
And in the answer of David's prayers, God did everything that people could imagine and not imagine. One man's prayer caused a bold movement from heaven itself. One man's prayer called, caused the heaven to move. If you guys remember when our Lord appeared to Moses at Sinai in Exodus 19, 9, what it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and believe you forever. And believe you forever. God, in the time of David, God did the same thing. He moved so many pieces to show people that he is with David. And he is his chosen child. He is his chosen child. I remember in the last days of His Holiness Pope Shenouda, there were some people who said, you know what, and His Holiness got really old and we want to have somebody kind of take over while he was alive. And that became a trend actually. And while His Holiness was giving a sermon, a white dove came, flew into the church and stood right next to him. And everybody at that time clapped because they felt it was a confirmation from heaven for the task that God has chosen for His Holiness Pope Shenouda. People around David saw that God is with him. And they saw that God is using him for his purpose. And that's extremely powerful. He sent from above, he took me and drew me out of many waters. It's almost the imagery that David is, is showing is like, is, by the way, shallow usually was, was people thought of it to be under the earth, under the sea. So it's almost God came, he opened the heaven, the whole earth shook, he uncovered the foundation of the earth, okay, and picked up David out of the water, who was like being drowned under the water and under shell, picked him up and brought him in a high places. This is just an example what happens when we have an issue and sometimes you might not be able to sleep, might not be able to eat. Uh, sometimes when people go through a breakup, they might spend like some time not even able to eat. And a couple of people fainted and went to the hospital. For them, this is the whole foundation is being shook for them. But God came in and picked them up from the very bottom. He says, He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. He says, God delivered me from my strong enemy. Why does he describe the strong enemy? If you guys remember, our Lord described the devil as a strong man in the parable when, when he said, who, who of you will go into a house without tying in the owner first before they go in. Why? Because the devil is a tyrant. When he holds somebody and controls them, they, he brings them to the lowest point. He makes you slave to sin. That's why a lot of sins are done in darkness. 
are done behind behind closed doors are covered by evil mood by, by covered by by some people claim good principles to cover their evil deeds he's a tyrant he wants you to change all who you are to be a slave to that sin so he's telling them that God he's the one who came and helped me because I was too weak I don't know how many people can say I was too weak a lot of time when people mustn't overcome sin and they come to talk they say uh, Abuna I was over I was able to overcome this sin I was able to stop this for some time but where is the work of God a sin you've been struggling with for years now you are the one who's able to overcome it where is the grace of God that helped you they confronted me in the day of my calamity but the Lord was my support you know the day that you reach your weakest point people will stand by you but usually for a limited time and then sometimes they get used to a new norm and they treat you as such or they just abandon you completely so it says at my my weakest point weakest point either for example when he was running away from Saul or when where he was running away from Absalom at his weakest point God was my support God was my support he says he also brought me out in a broad place he delivered me because he delighted in me obviously a broad place is you can contrast this to a tight corner in verse 7 or a tight place you know when you have an issue when you have a problem when you have difficulties you feel the world is so tight there is no path forward things are so difficult he says he brought me from a time where I felt the world is gonna end there's no more solution for me and he brought me out to a place that's wide and a place that I can run in I can dream again I can have new ambition I can have a I can have my life again because my life was forgotten for a long time he says he delivered me because he delighted in me why did God delight in him look at verse 21 he says the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness according to the cleanness of my hands he has recompensed me this verse is a bit confusing okay David's hand is full of blood all right and in terms of righteousness he's a good man but he messed up big time big time okay he he he, he fought with the Philistines he, he sold and he he, he lied and the priest died because of his lie he committed adultery he killed somebody like a whole long list of things for David the prophet but there's one idea I want you to, to remember what does it mean according to my righteousness if you guys remember St. Paul in Philippians 3 6 what does he says he says concerning zeal persecuting the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless so St. Paul says there's a righteousness that comes with the law and when it comes to the righteousness of the law I am blameless what does that mean it means that every time David committed a sin he went to his father of confession and repentance he went to the altar he slaughtered a lamb 
He did something and confessed his sins. So David said, I am blameless according to the law. I have, even when I sinned, I have offered, offered uh, sacrifice. That's why we say there's a difference between being sinless and being blameless. Sinless, it means you have sinless, that's only God. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who's sinless. Blameless means that you have sinned, but your sins have been forg forg forgiven because of what the Lord have done. And that expresses the importance of the sacraments and the importance of the ritual practices by them. David could not be blameless without the rituals they had back then. Us, we cannot be blameless unless we offer uh, forgiveness, we offer repentance, we ask for forgiveness, and we take communion. Because you guys remember in the church, forgiveness of sins happens in three stages. Repentance, confession, and communion. Repentance, confession, and communion. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from the Lord. Remember that when he says, I have not wickedly departed from the Lord, some other translation says, I have not rebelled against the Lord. So basically what David is saying is, yes, I have sinned. Yes, I have committed many mistakes. But I never in my life said, I don't want God anymore. I've never became a rebellious person against God. I was always going back to Him. I was always repenting. I've sinned many times. I have lusted many times. I have fallen many times. But I did not rebel against God. He also says, God, earlier in this verse, He says, God looked at my righteousness. Everything I do, God sees. There are certain moments in David's life where he says, you know what, this will please God. Remember when Shammai, the son of Gera, when he insulted him, what did David say? He says, Live, let him, let him, because God is going to look at me and see how I am insulted, and he's going to have favor on me. When he went to the cave where he could kill Saul, he knew that this will please God. No, no, I won't do it, because this will make God happy. Every liturgy you attend, every act of sacrifice you do, whether you're on vacation or with people, everything that you do, God delights in it. Be careful not to rebel against God. Sin sinning is different than rebelling. I will do one more verse. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. David did something significant. He started reading the scripture daily. He says, all his judgments were before me. And as for his statutes, I did not depart from, 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 from them. It seems like when he was a king, especially, he was constantly reading the scripture. And this actually was one of the commandments that were given to the king, that he must read the law of God daily. And in, the Psalm, in Psalm 1, it says, I meditate on your law day and night. You know, I'll tell you guys something. When you look at the law in the Old Testament, 
and David is meditating on the law day and night. When people refer to the law, by the way, in the Old Testament, just before I explain this, they either refer to the Ten Commandments, the Book of Moses, or all of the Old Testament. But even if we take it as the simplest way, he was meditating on the Ten Commandments, for example. Love the Lord your God from all your heart and all your mind. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not kill. These verses, when he meditates on them, it helps him to become so sensitive, so sensitive toward the smallest act that could violate these, these commandments to the point that David was able to show love to his enemies and acceptance to his enemies that were not only revealed unless, until the New Testament. And by the way, this is an example of why the scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. In the old days, if you say, love your enemy or do good to your enemy, you're considered to be fool. So for the scripture to highlight in such a situation, David actually re treating his enemy in a good way and believing that God will have compassion on him. Because of that, it shows that this man meditated on the law day and night. God opened for him the ways he can see some of the ends of the commandments, some of the highest level of the commandments that we only get, we only get to see in the New Testament. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.